Lights, camera, action. Welcome to Everything Cookbooks, the podcast for curious writers, readers, and cooks. This is Kristen Donnelly, and I'm here with Kate Leahy, Molly Stevens, and Andrea Nguyen. Having our recipes photographed or even photographing them ourselves is a huge step in bringing cookbooks to life. But photography for print is so much different than grabbing your iPhone and shooting an image of your food for Instagram. And today we're going to talk about it. How's everybody doing today? Great. Good. Looking forward to talking photos. Before we tackle this big subject and help people out with with some tips for getting their books photographed, I'd love to get into the Wayback Machine and talk about how books used to look before 2005, going all the way back. Molly, I know your book, All About Braising, it doesn't have a ton of photographs, right? No, and I love I when you hear a Wayback Machine, I know that's my cue. Start talking. Uh, <laughs> 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 Molly. <laughs> no, so yeah, that book, All About Braising, came out in 2004. And it has what they're called inserts, where the photos are printed on separate stock, paper stock. There are actually three inserts that are sewn into the binding at three different spots. So the book is black and white, just print, you know, text on paper, and then the three sections that have photos that appear in them. Now, that was 2004. There were books with full color photos at that point. I mean, in 19, I think it was what 1982, Martha Stewart entertaining her first book. She insisted that every recipe have a photo. Wow. And I think that might have been the first book to do that. And she also Mm -hmm. insisted on this Japanese color printing process that really brought the food to life. And it's if you look at vintage cookbooks, you see how the colors are all weird compared yeah. to what we're used to. So anyway, so somewhere between 1982 and you know 2005, things were happening and changing. But yes, it, before 2005, there were a lot of books that didn't have as much color as they do now. And even some classics, like the, you know, the classic Julia Child books, Paula Wolfert books, they don't have tons of photography. It, that's changed, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It right. used to cost a lot for yeah. color separation. And that technology was super expensive. Right. You know, if you were doing stuff on the cheap, and I used to do graphic design, um, very basic stuff, you guys, way back in the 90s, <laughs> way back. <laughs> way back. And, and to pitch to my clients, I'd say, let's do two color, because that's basically all I knew how to do. And so <laughs> you got black ink on white paper and then choose one color and you could grayscale things to death because color separations into four color was just so expensive. And then things just suddenly change and all of a sudden it's like, oh, for color. Wow. But not as many photos, though. Right. right. When people say for color, what exactly are they talking about, though? It's CMYK, cyan, magenta, yellow, black. <laughs> but basically, yeah, the four color can blend to make all colors. And could be incorporated throughout the book. Yeah. And so when my book came out, I was a brand new author. It was very inexpensive. Uh, You know, the publisher was taking a chance on me. They weren't going to spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I didn't get a big advance. There was no budget for photos. I mean, there was a budget, but it was a smaller budget. And so that's the way around it was to do these things called inserts. And you'll see them. It's definitely not as much a thing now. And it's like the technology got cheaper, but then also it seems like the place of cookbooks 
in our lives changed and what people want from that. It's almost a given now that there's going to be a lot of photographs in a cookbook. And I guess philosophically, what do we think about that? I don't know. I go back and forth. A few years ago, I wrote a story for the Wall Street Journal about using cookbooks that don't have photographs and interviewed a number of people, including Julie Sani, who is one of my favorite cookbook authors. And her books are classics. You go into them and you imagine flavors, textures, you read techniques, and she forces you to engage on so many different levels other than just looking at a book full of pictures. But Julie said to me, well, you know, my one of my favorite books was the William Sonoma book that I got to write. It's full color and it has all these beautiful images about India. And I was like, no, 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 Julie, we've got to stay on message. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact is that those kinds of books that, that do not have photography, they're a different level of engagement. They require an attention span that I relish oftentimes. Mm -hmm. But I know that the reality of the marketplace is that, well, you got to have pictures. That is such a good point about attention span, because if a book doesn't have a lot of photography in it and you're paging through, you have to anticipate that that person's going to have time to sit with those words and, and the, the beautiful graphics. But that's not the world we live in these days. I mean, everyone's attention span seems to be shrinking with, you have Instagram, you can scan through all these beautiful photos. So I think that experience is almost mirrored now in how people want to consume cookbooks. And I know, I mean, I don't know, have, have you all had this happen, but you'll get that Amazon review that says, but there's not a photo for every recipe. Oh, gosh. <laughs> It, you talk about how we engage with cookbooks, and I think that's such an important way to think about it. And if you flip through a book, you're looking for that, I want to make that, that looks good, that sounds good, that moment that of engagement, that's what draws you in. And if it's the pictures, that's the easy way in. But if it's the evocative recipe title, the head note, I think that's a deeper level of engagement and maybe even more enduring. One of the challenges with photos is I find they often set up a false expectation because, mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about this, I think, to, right? Mm -hmm. um, how they're styled and how they're propped and how they're lit. And you might make the dish and it might be absolutely delicious and you followed the instruction, everything worked out perfectly, but is it going to look like that? You know, yeah. you're going to have the artfully strewn the artful sprinkle. Yeah. <laughs> the, the artful napkin yeah. placement. I, mean, I think we've all looked at photos of and, and cookbooks I've worked on. It's like, oh, that prop stylist got that same worn wooden board into multiple books oh, because God. it looked yes. really, you know, that, that whole thing. So it's that whole, it just sets up that whole, you know, our our lives are never as beautiful as everybody else's on Instagram. And sometimes our, our food is not as beautiful as that in the pages yeah. of these books. And yet it's delicious and nourishing and filled with heart. I don't know. And it can date a book. I mean, you're talking yes. about Martha Stewart mm -hmm. from 1982. I'm sure it looks like Martha Stewart in 1982. And it's like, are those recipes any less delicious or relevant? Maybe not, but the photos might make them feel that way. So I guess that's another thing to think about with photography. And I know there's been a tiny trend of some cookbooks moving away from photos and maybe doing some illustration, which I think is really sweet. I don't necessarily see that personally being like, that'll be the norm again, but 
I think one place where it is changing is with more of this comic book style, which is a totally different topic. Oh. But that is a way that uh, people are moving away from having photography, but still having pages and pages packed with things that draw your eye. Mm. And uh, those books are selling really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. The graphic cookbooks are great because they, they allow people to learn visually mm-hmm. through storytelling. That's very, very interesting. My only thing is from, you know, look, you, we all learn and take in information differently. Some are visual learners, some need, you know, to hear things. Some some people are, are more comfortable reading things and some people are a combination of all those things. Part of what I think with regard to cookbooks that have too many pictures, like step-by-step, step, it's like, I don't need to see you know, pouring something into a pan or stirring. Why do we need that? You know, I I would rather read the text of like stir briskly and just really, you know, swiftly move that the ingredients in the wok so that you're like, yeah, I'm going to swiftly move something. And there's like this action. And you can't always capture that. Yeah, right. You can get more movement in language than in still photography. Yeah, yeah. David Chang and Priya Krishna's Cooking at Home has a combination of very modern um, graphic image as well as photography. And it's fun. You know, it speaks to, I think, the the theme and the mood of that book. You know, that's an expensive book to produce um, that combine all of those things. But I don't know, man, you know, it really is about the kind of style that you want to present to your audience. Mm-hmm. Let's now talk to people who want to do their own cookbooks and what they might want to think about when it comes to the photography. One kind of harsh reality, I think we've mentioned it before, is photography is expensive. I did not realize how expensive photography is. Even in your proposal, proposing how many photos are going to go in this book, know that as an author, you might be paying for that photography out of your advance well, what makes it so expensive? I That was the thing that surprised me the most. Again, how expensive it is, but what goes on that budget? It's not just the photographer. I remember because I got my estimate. It was like $25,000. And you're like, what? Right. But then there's a lot of people and a lot of services that you're paying for with that. Right. They're renting a studio. There's a photographer, the photographer's assistant, the prop stylist, the prop stylist assistant, the their assistant. It goes on and on. The food stylist, the food stylist assistant. And even when there's an assistant, there is just not one assistant, maybe two assistants. And I think people oftentimes assume that um, the photographer is just pushing the button. And some photographers, that's what they do. And those are not the photographers that I like to work with. Um, Because when I'm thinking about photographers, I think of people who are interested in food, who are interested in cooking, who are interested in my subject. And I work really hard and I expect the photographer and everybody on the team to work hard too. That means that the photographer pitches in to style, to think about how to create images that go with the theme of the book and with the mood board so that they're helping me create the most visually engaging book possible. Their name is not on the cover. Mine is. Mm -hmm. So I always want to make sure that, you know, we're working as hard as we can. And it's hard to, to, 
get that kind of satisfaction all the time, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do at the end of the day of a shoot, and and I've been on shoots that lasted five days and sometimes 10 days, when everybody's really tired and you go home and you got to like take a bath to soak because next day you're aching. And that's like a good shoot. Yeah, because sometimes you're is shooting eight to 10 to 12 dishes a day. And that's a lot. Like it doesn't, maybe it doesn't sound like that much because you like put down the food, shoot, put down the food, shoot. But for each photo, you're setting up a scene. Somebody's obviously cooking it. Somebody's styling that. You're moving things around. It might take an hour per shot. And I think sometimes people don't realize that. And it's funny, food styling, we've talked a little bit about, but I remember a friend of mine being like, oh, you could food style. Don't you just like cook it? And then you just have to like arrange the cilantro with a tweezer. (laughs) It's like, no, (laughs) I don't know if you have any good food styling stories, but I have so much respect for food stylists and their craft. And it's actually not something in my wheelhouse. I worked as a food style assistant for Williams-Sonoma for just a few months. I was kind of um, just pitching in um, when somebody was on maternity leave. And it's just the amount of detail that goes into food styling, just the amount of knowledge you need to be able to cook and have it look good and be able to troubleshoot recipes sometimes that just don't quite look right in, in the moment. So when you translate that to cookbooks, I think If you're a cookbook author and you're going to have your recipes professionally photographed, sometimes you work with a food stylist. Sometimes a food stylist takes your recipes and works remotely, especially now these days where people are doing things a little bit more on the remote side. And then you really kind of are in their hands in a way. So um, that goes back to just having really, really good recipes. But I do have, I do have sort of not a, not a horror story, but just something that happened um, while I was working on the Burma Superstar book. And we had a food stylist, but I also was the primary person doing all the cooking because I knew the recipes and I knew what they were supposed to look like. The Burma Superstar in Oakland, it's a, it's a restaurant that focuses on sort of Burmese Chinese California food. And they have an Oakland restaurant that has a second uh, story. And they have this little beat up kitchen back up there. And so we set up shop with the photographer, the food stylist, me, the art director. <laughs> I don't know what happened. We broke for lunch and we were eating the food that we had already, you know, that we had photographed. And somebody turned on the electric stove and there was a wok on the stove and it had oil in it. And the oil got so hot that it just ignited. And we (gasps) had an oil fire on set. Of course, it was my wok that was totally destroyed. The good thing was there was a couple of guys hanging out and they were just looking at like, oh, should I take a photograph of this? I'm like, no. So we (laughs) throw, I don't know, like flour on it and then threw it on the roof, which was right outside the, the door on the second floor. And we set off the fire alarm downstairs in the restaurant during lunch service and oh the fire gosh. department came. So that was, oh my, my gosh. The thing was, and this goes actually back to what Andrea is saying about having a great hardworking crew. No one lost their mind. Everyone just kept continuing on. We regrouped. We said, we're so lucky, you know, let's continue on. And, you know, and I think that was midway through the shoot. So sometimes crazy things happen and you just got to roll with it. But if you have a strong team and really good organization, you know, the shoot shoot will end. So that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think everyone has one of those like crazy stories. Well, I assisted a friend of mine on shoots in the early nineties. She would style photos for the holidays for grocery stores. Thanksgiving rolls along. And that was when you never had to roast that turkey. You just took a raw one and painted it up to look really beautiful with kitchen bouquet. And I would look (laughs) at the food and be like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. She's like, don't eat it. 
But, you know, nowadays, though, the cool thing is when I'm planning the shot list, the daily shot list with my stylist and Karen Shinto and I have worked together for all of my books and she's traveled with me. So she's more of a friend than a stylist. We plan our shot list. It's like a meal plan. So what are we going to eat at lunch? What do we want people to take home for dinner? Mm -hmm. We're going to have one day where we fry everything, you know, so that things get messy and we can clean up and stuff. But it's really, we eat what we craft for the images. So, you know, so much has progressed from two color (laughs) printing jobs to being able to eat the food that you make on set. It's really quite a joy nowadays um, to work that hard to create the images for your books. That's such a nice, warm thing. That's one thing that, you know, that myth that the food that we're photographing isn't edible. That is not the case with cookbooks. I mean, that food stylists these days have come so far. And and Andrea, you're on set too. You know what your food should look like and you know it's beautiful and you know it's going to taste good. Why would that food go to waste? No, it's going to be eaten. Not all food on set can be eaten if it's been out for for ages and ages, but um, smart Cookbook authors like Andrea go in with a plan and she's going to enjoy the food that you're working so hard to photograph. Let's talk about how do you find a photographer? What goes into that process? Kate, have you worked with a lot of different photographers? I have. Let me just walk you through like a a typical sort of photographer matchmaking. Say if I'm co-authoring a book, we could use, say, Burma Superstar, since I already brought that up as an example. I co-authored that with a restaurant. And to find our photographer, we met up with a few photographers. Um, Our publisher was 10 Speed. Before we met with the photographers in person to talk about the book, 10 Speed sent us books that the photographers had worked on so we could see their style and see what it looked like in a finished product. And so we basically, you know, had a chat and it, it really came down to who we thought could could hang out with us for long hours because we were also going to be traveling to uh, Myanmar and we needed somebody who would be, you know, just nice to hang out with. You know, John Lee ended up being our photographer. He had a background in um, photojournalism. And that's another thing. Sometimes you want to know what kind of photographer you need for your book. Photojournalists aren't the type of photographers you need for every book. Sometimes they're not the ones you need at all. Um, For our project, it made sense to have a photographer with that background. And that means being able to shoot on site in a city, uh, you know, that you've maybe never been to, to get capture those moments while you're there. But you also need somebody who can work in a studio space. And some photographers really focus on the studio side. And for most cookbooks, that's what you need. Someone who's really strong in studio, who's going to have a great team that they can tap for props, for food styling. And a lot of times in the past, I've relied on the photographer to bring that team together that they like working with. So then you have this cohesive strategy going in. With publishers that I've worked with before, it's the art director who also is interfacing with the photographer. So it's not just you having to plan it all. You're working with your team, your publisher, as well as as the photographer. So there's a lot of ways to find a photographer, but it's good to just um, figure out what kind of background you need research them, see what work they've done in the past and see if it kind of speaks to the style that you have in mind. Yeah, my experience, I had a different photographer for each of three cookbooks because they are all very have different styles. And it was really starting out with what is the style and then coming up with a short list of photographers that seem appropriate, as, as you say so well, Kate. 
and then finding out if they're available and what they charge. <laughs> and it's and then right. you back down from there. And then once a photographer is in place, in some cases, like you say, you might get their recommendation for who they've worked with because it's all about the team. It was as as we've all said, you want a team that works together well because it's a stressful experience. And so yeah. you start with a strong team. But Sometimes the photographer might, you might like their prop stylist suggestions and their food stylist suggestions. You may have your own. And so then it's a question of, you know, navigating that. I've also found it seems like some publishers have their favorites. So if you're, especially if you're a newer author to the publisher, they'll often recommend they have like five or 10 favorites that they work with. They fall out of favor too. I think because you'll see somebody, not that they fall out of favor, maybe they move on. A lot of photographers will do cookbooks to build their portfolio, but they're not the money makers for photographers. So that's something else that they like to balance. Okay. They could get, say for us, it's a lot of money, the 25,000, 20,000 that they'll get to shoot your book. But to them, maybe that's just a, a two day shot for a commercial. They could pick that up instead and, and work maybe not as many hours, not as yeah. many days for the same amount of money. So sometimes a photographer, when they're starting out, they'll do a lot of cookbooks and then they they get to a point in their career, they think I maybe only do one cookbook a year right. for friends. Right. Just remember too, they're not walking with that 25,000, even if it's five days True. or four days, right. you know, what they're walking with is usually like way, way, way less because they're paying everybody else. Right. One project I worked on, it was a co-author situation and we worked with a photographer who was a friend, but had also done books and we didn't rent a studio. We did it in a co-author's apartment because it had great light and had great props. And so we avoided the studio rental and the prop rental because we felt confident we could do that. And it worked. I mean, there are ways to save money if you are creative, but you have to be sure you know what you're doing because it'll it'll show up if you don't. Exactly. You need to have, you know, someone who is skilled. I've worked with photojournalists as well as studio photographers. Sometimes a photojournalist can do some studio stuff, but by and large, photojournalists are there to make the best of a situation as is. Not mm -hmm. to really, you know, dress things up that much. So if I want a look like for the pho cookbook, we wanted to, to have the images connect with location shots that we had taken in Vietnam. That's where we went with a photojournalist who had traveled to, to Asia and was able to shoot those images for us. But he didn't really do that much styling. He was just kind of laid back in there. Times. Sometimes he just kind of hung out and I was like, hmm. We did the styling, my stylist and I, and we worked really, really hard because we had gone to Vietnam together. On the other hand, I've worked with a photographer like Aubrey Pick, who's shot for Chrissy Teigen and so many other books. And I was so interested in Aubrey's work because she has a particular vibrant, crisp style that's exciting and beautiful, but not cutesy because that's not Aubrey's personality she just poured everything into Vietnamese food any day. And it was just like so wonderful to work with someone like that. And I've worked with Eric Wolfinger on the mm -hmm. Paula Wolfert biography cookbook. And Eric makes everyone bathe in beautiful golden light. And he's also a great cook professionally and casual cook as well. So, you know, he was able to coax the best out of all of us, including Paula. Mm -hmm. um, who is someone who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at the time and still is. And, and so, you know, it really depends on, on the subject matter, your mood, what you're looking for and check like books you like, see who photographed those. I have a story about Eric actually, that I think will tie into a question I've been asked from other photographers. The question is, how can I shoot cookbooks? 
so Eric had already shot, I guess, the Tartine Bread book by then, but I was an editor at Food and Wine magazine and I had featured the book. Eric sent a handwritten note just saying like, thank you so much for featuring this book. It was on like a postcard with his photography on it. And it was just like a nice touch. And I was like, ah, I bet he's doing that widely. I always say it's like put yourself in the mix. And he clearly was already in the mix because he was shooting this book. But he kind of he hustled in a very nice way. If you were talking to an aspiring cookbook photographer, what would you tell them? Reach out, hustle. And I would say a shout out to the handwritten note. I just think that is that's a super classy move. It was classy. No, and it's great because it takes a moment and it's personal. And, you know, rather than just blindly broadcasting your interest, try see if you mm-hmm. can't find a personal connection somewhere. Photographers always need assistance. So even if you are getting your own work, but not in cookbooks, I would see if there's a photographer you like who's shooting cookbooks and ask if you can assist them. I, I would say also that if you are an aspiring food photographer, you need to build your pro, uh, portfolio to make it look like you're a food photographer. So have that website. The thing is, what will happen is what an art director will do is they'll look at your website and you'll, they'll look at your work and they might not know you at all, but maybe someone suggested you or maybe they just stumbled upon your website. They need that so they can create a mood board so they can see if you'll fit into what book that they're envisioning uh, creating with an author. And, and if you don't have a lot of food photography work, um, you know, just make friends with a, a restaurant that needs, that desperately needs your help. Restaurants need so much more photography online than they used to, that you could, you know, spend a day, get some beautiful images and, and just learn your craft that way. One of the things that you can do as a photographer too, is to pair up with um, a stylist or two and do some test shots. It's a mutually beneficial partnership. And you're creating these beautiful image in a professional manner. Put them in your portfolio, put them up on social media. One of the things now that that I ponder about is how valuable is it to a publisher that a photographer has a presence on social media Mm -hmm. and a platform? And that may be something that you can offer. But again, if you're starting out, approach stylists that you like and put some beautiful images together to show off what you got. You guys want to talk a little bit about just the the financial breakdown, because I think a lot of aspiring cookbook authors are probably thinking to themselves, wow, if I took a photography class and got a better camera, maybe it's not <laughs> maybe it's worth me training myself to take my own photos. Yeah, I mean, different levels of photographers and stylists are going to have different rates, but it does seem like there's like minimums or standards. Last time I hired a food stylist, it was probably about $600 a day for a food stylist and an assistant was about half that. So it does seem like there's these standard rates that photographers are often working with, including their own standard rates. And I feel like that can be anywhere from $1,000 a day on up. And again, even though they're charging for the day, there's also like prep days and there's like post-production and they might do that themselves. They might hire somebody to edit their photos, plus the food, all that food. That's all the food and the location that they have to rent. And props. Food stylists have prep days. Right. So that figures in as well. The stylist will load in and the prop stylist has to drop off. There's like all of these factors. So, you know, $25,000 actually doesn't go very far. Photo budgets are going up and I hear that they're higher than 25 for sure. Oh, yeah. But the problem is, as an author, you got to earn that back. And it's so hard to earn that 25,000 back in your royalties. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And if you say, I mean, I've been on shoots where we've done six photos a day, we've done 10 photos a day, you know, it depends on what the photos are. 10 is a stretch. I mean, that takes, you know, if every photo takes close to an hour to, to cook, to prep, to, you know, if you have a good, efficient team, they can sort of get things going. But so when you're saying, I'm going to write a cookbook and I want, I'm just going to have 75 recipes and I want every recipe to have a, a photo, that's, you know, now you're talking about a 10 day photo shoot or something. And that's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. So it might be tempting, yeah, to say like, oh, I'll shoot my book myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I know people who have done that. And it's very different. You probably wouldn't have 10 days of a concentrated photo shoot. You would probably do it over time. And you save yourself a lot of money for sure. I think that's happening more and more. I mean, am I right that Nick Sharma's does all his own? He's a great example yeah. of someone who's done it yeah. very successfully. But it's it's part of the creation process. You're doing it as you're writing, as you're developing, and you also possess those skills. You, you know, you're not just taking iPhone photos and right. Well, Kenji, most of his or his, I think he does his as he goes too. There are other ways to do it, but we're talking about sort of a more traditional model that still very much dominates. I think. Yeah. I mean, Heidi Swanson is a master. She's highly unusual, but it's, you know, the words are, and the instructions and the research into developing a recipe is hard enough for me. I would rather be expert on that and assist in any way I can um, with the photography, but it costs a lot. When people say to me, oh, you know, how come there isn't a photo for every recipe that you have? And I would say, well, then it would take away from the instructions or you could pay a lot of money for that book. What are you ready for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the prices of books. It just blows me away that this beautiful book can be discounted on Amazon for, say, like something like $15. And it's like all the work that goes into it. It's always like, how does this financially make sense for any of us? Yeah. It's funny when you were talking about people like Heidi Swanson or Nick Sharma, I mean, they're bringing more than their recipes in that case. They're bringing an aesthetic and their books are always going to have an aesthetic. They might evolve, but I feel like it's very much them. Whereas when we're working on books, the, the aesthetic can be very different for each one and can fit that book. So I guess that's another thing to consider is like, you know, are you somebody who's trying to not only put your recipes in the world, but like a vision that's uniquely yours? Or is it more appealing for you to have a partner to help bring that to life? So that like... Brings up, you know, the role of the designer, the, your book designer, right? Right. That mood board that yeah, we've mentioned. Yeah, the mood board. I was just going to say, Kate mentioned a mood board. What is that? What is that? I mean, I always think, it's funny. I always think of, I did a brief stint Pinterest. at Martha Stewart. It is Pinterest. It's totally, and, or Martha Stewart. I mean, they're super into the mood boards. I go through the manuscript as I'm working on it. I highlight recipes that I think are visually really stunning or really going to stand out or really communicate what the book is about, the essence of it. And so I sort of make notes of that. And then once the manuscript is submitted and we're into design stages, then I go back through and try to, well, figure out how many photographs we're going to make or mm -hmm. try to create, and then just try to come up with a with what we call a shoot. I've had discussions with authors, whether it's a shoot list or a shot list. And I was oh. told that calling it a shot list is very optimistic because a shoot list is what you're going to try to shoot. And the shot list is assuming you're going to get them all. But uh. sort of, <laughs> I sort of like that. But coming up with a shot list. And so what are the dishes you're going to shoot? Make sure they're not all orange or make sure they're not all chicken or make sure they're not, you know, so there's a variety. All in the same chapter. <laughs> right. Or all in the same chapter because you want to have them spread out through the book. So that's, that's what I think of as the mood board. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's an aesthetic. I've worked with the same designer at 10 Speed Press. Oh my goodness. For 
six out of my seven books. So Betsy Stromberg will look at my website. She also takes a look at a collection of reference photos that I take as I'm developing the recipes. So I just take these casual images on my iPhone and I'll style them a little bit so that they look beautiful but not overly styled so that everyone gets to see the texture and color composition and all the accoutrements that go into the dish. And then I just throw them up into the cloud and then I organize them for for my editor, for my designer, stylist, as well as a photographer so that they have something to work off of. And I organize those images according to chapters. I'm a rarity, you guys, I've been told. It takes a lot of time to do this, but it's very helpful. Mm -hmm. And when I'm writing recipes, I actually, oftentimes I'm thinking about the photography and I'm not alone in that either. Yotam Odolengi publicly admits that he's thinking about the images as the recipes go together. He and his team putting them together for their books. So, you know, that aesthetic starts way, way back. And you are planting those seeds, as Molly says, as you're working on your manuscript. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a great thing to do is that even if you don't have the time in that recipe testing development phase you're in to make a beautiful photo just for yourself of that book, just take a snapshot with your phone so you remember where you are at and that you can always use those, even if they're sort of crummy photos, a food stylist and a photographer would uh, really value that those just like hints of what this dish kind of sort of looks like. Yeah. In my experience, I've had publishers, they will actually create a mood board and it'll show a style of photo that they are thinking about. And you either agree with that or you don't like, and I feel like sometimes that style evolves with the time, the fashion, you know? One thing about a mood board too, is the art director will maybe come up with images that aren't recipes from your book or even the photographer you're going to use. It's more about the colors, the look and feel that they're they're going for. And they just kind of create, you know, sort of like a Pinterest um, board of things that like kind of look nice together. Um, but one thing I went through recently, which I'd never done before, is we were choosing photographers for a project that's not a, with recipes, but it's about Italian wine. And they also, we have an illustration budget. So we needed to make sure photographers matched potential illustrators. The, the art director put together the photographer's work next to a potential illustrator's work so we could see how they look together. And I had never really done that before, but it really started also making me think, man, illustration's really complicated to make sure it flows into the design and doesn't clash or if there's even room for it. So it doesn't just look like a sort of random add-on of little doodle at this corner of a page or something. So I think that's might be happening more and more with bigger books that have um, illustration and photography. Um, the, the design element starts to become more and more involved early on in the bookmaking process. Yeah, I worked on a project once where the photographer and the design were not in sync and it was on location shots. And when it came back to put those into the design, they were like small, like these little thumbnails almost. The photographer thought he was going to be getting, you know, full spreads. And he would have taken mm. a very different photo if he knew it was going to be down to a four by four, you know, insert. So wow. really important. We talked about paper stock before. And I, you know, to know, so the photographer knows going in what the paper these photos are going to be printed on looks like. So the photographs will pop if it's on matte or gloss or whatever it is. In your experience, does the designer go to the photo shoot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. It depends. In mine, it's been a, usually a drop in a couple days. 
Yeah, that's what I've experienced too. There at the beginning. No, mine's there every day. Betsy's there to monitor us. Oh, much, what does she do? Whip us into action. Oh, cool. <laughs> Well, <laughs> where you are in the in the country too. When I was working on books in Chicago, we didn't have an, an our director didn't fly out to Chicago to be part of the shoot. Oh, I benefit from the fact that my publisher is relatively close to where I am. But I also go to the shoots because I want to make sure if there are peanuts in the recipe, there are peanuts in the photo. Okay, um, yeah. that sort of thing. And yeah. um, I also assist with the prep and cooking. But the designer. So before we go into the shoot itself, um, the book has been mapped out loosely in terms of the progression of recipes within the chapters. And we're taking a look at where the photos are going to be. And um, someone like Betsy will have put that together. She's on location to make sure that the style it matches the mood board. She's on location to also take a look at how, say, the book jacket comes together because we're choosing the image for the jacket as we're shooting. And she and I may have an initial conversation about that along with my editor. And then we'll move things around and, and she will take a photo for a food photo. And then she will start playing around with putting the cover together right then and there as we're on set. Mm -hmm. And so we're creating a lot of assets during that time. And if there are, say, full spreads, you know, with, with text layout, with text dropped into the layout, then that's something that um, she and I and the photographer and stylist all work together on. So she's there from beginning to end. The editor typically will come in at the beginning, middle and end, but not necessarily there all the time because, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. I have a quick question for you, Andrea. Do you have ideas mapped out before a cover before you, you go into the shoot? Or do you kind of see how things go? Because I know for working on uh, other people's books, the cover is always such a challenge. And we've talked about this. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just your decision, the author's decision on what gets to be on the cover. It's marketing, it's publicity. It's a whole team of people who have to agree. But the worst thing that can happen after a great photo shoot is to walk away and then think, oh my gosh, none of these are working for a photo, for a cover. Mm -hmm. Oh God, no. Um, going in to the shoot, I have a sense of what the cover will look like. I will have like two or three ideas in my head. I'll talk it over with my editor. So my new editor is Lorena Jones, who's like amazing. And we'll have had that discussion beforehand with some options in place. And then I'll talk to Betsy as well. And then we'll see as things progress during the shoot. And then once we land there, we'll do it. And the cover is laid out right then that week during the shoot or two weeks, whatever, so that if there are is any kind of tweak that needs to get made, the photographer is there to tweak. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I learned to do way back in 2005, 2006, working with Aaron Weiner on my first book, Into the Vietnamese Kitchen. He said, what do you want to be have on the cover? And I was like, I don't want fall. Fall has been everywhere. I was so wrong, right? <laughs> and, and so um, we put this other noodle soup on um, Boon Ball Hui because I'm like, I want this book to last for a long time. And he's like, all right. And we put together a beautiful image for that. And the cover image is different than the one that's actually associated with the recipe. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because you have to move things around to make room yeah, for, sure. for the text, right? Mm -hmm. And also keep in mind, the cover image is what you want to sell your book. 
That's what people Mm -hmm. see. So it's got to be something that's doable, but yet totally embodies the theme of your book. Mm. I think that's why a lot of cover designs now have the cover image is it has a border around it. And maybe that's because they need room for type and they want this beautiful mm. image, but you can't put the title over it. So they're going to either put something like um, a wrap the text around, like say a neutral background and then drop the photo in. Maybe it's sort of offset center, but you're seeing that a lot more. And I think part of it is working around. I don't know how to do the cover with the text and make mm-hmm. it pop. <laughs> Actually, with Modern Potluck, for the cover, they wanted to shoot a tablescape. I remember feeling like a little like not thrilled with that, but I was like, they know what they're doing. And um, in the end, they use that tablescape as a spread, like an opening spread. And the cover is a single dish of these carrots that was a shot I actually loved. And they did what you're talking about, but it's it's like a faux fabric overlay. And that's where the text is. And then the dish is on the right. It's a strong cover. I ended up liking that a lot better than the um, spread of food. And I actually love the way it looks like inside the book. It's That was really interesting. In my last book, in the end, we ended up with an illustration on the cover and not a photograph after, after going around and around with a lot of different really good covers. They're, they were shot to be a cover. There was room for text, but just in terms of what we wanted to say. So it's not always a photograph that goes on the cover. Right. That's true. Yeah. You know, you look at like the books that come out of the UK and Australia, man, and they're like oftentimes without an image. Yeah. I love those graphic covers. Me too. Why in America do we need <laughs> to be so literal? I was going to say, we're so literal. We're very literal. We're very literal people. That's why we want recipes that say all the things you need to do in that recipe. We don't want to leave anything to chance. We want the ingredients listed in order of use, not just kind of like listed. Preferably a title that includes most of the ingredients so we know exactly what we're getting into. (laughs) So for that reason, we want a photo on the cover of our cookbooks. Okay, so we've been talking about photography for a really long time now, and I feel like we got into some nice juicy topics. Let's do let's do a lightning round. Number one takeaway, Molly. The thing people probably ask me the most about the photography for the books is, do I cook the food? And my answer is always no. And then what do I do? Why am I there at the photo shoot? And I am there to make sure that the food looks like the recipe I wrote it. If they're peanuts in the photo, they're peanuts in the recipe. So sometimes the food stylists get a little carried away with embellishment. If the recipe calls for, you know, two eggs, that they're two eggs and not three. I've seen that happen, you know, things like that. So literally keeping an eye on things, but also just to, to sort of oversee the whole team group spirit. One of my biggest takeaways from a photo shoot, my last book, halfway through the second day, I just broke down in tears and everybody was like, what's wrong? I was like, I'm so happy. You're making my food look so beautiful. And it it feels like me, like they got it. They were cooking food that looked like food that came out of my kitchen. More beautiful, of course, but that's what I do on a photo shoot. I love that, Molly. Andrea. One of the takeaways that I just remembered and I did not mention to you all is that if there are any changes on set to your recipes, make a notation of that. I always keep a notebook with me that I write little strange reminders to myself. It's like, all right, make that cilantro optional since you didn't, you know, have it in the photo or if there are any tweaks that the style, the food stylist did to the recipe that you actually like, you know, tweak the recipe before it goes to print because you can still do that. We mm-hmm. talked in earlier episodes about editing and you can still do those tiny, tiny changes until close to when you go to print. Yeah. How about you, Kate? I'm going to go back 
to the cover. Andrea, I think what you do is fantastic. I think all authors should take some cues from that because you never spend too much time thinking about cover options. Um, Just always go into a photo shoot thinking about potential ideas for a cover and look at covers you really like and see if it's one of those where, Kristen, it's like your modern potluck cover, or is it a full uh, photo on the cover with the text over it? And just think about those options um, going in, because I have to tell you, fortunately, it's not been on my own book, but I've been part of cover decisions on other books, and it can be painful. And some people end up with this beautiful, beautiful book, and they're still not satisfied with the cover to this day. So uh, just always, there's never enough time to, to think about the cover, but don't let the cover bring you down. What about you, Kristen? <laughs> it's funny. I was totally going to say the same thing as you, Andrea. And because of COVID, there have been some books I've worked on where it's all virtual. So the cha- you know, you see the changes later. And if you're not going to ask for a retake of the photo, then sometimes you do need to make minor adjustments for the recipes. But separate from that, I will say if you're an author and in those early stages, like I would say just speak up as early as possible if something's not feeling right with the photography choice or the visual direction, because the further you get into it, there comes a point where it's just impossible to change. You can't like make a little change like you would with the text. Once the photo shot, it's shot and it's not going to be redone. So just speak up early and speak up often. So that's me. So smart. Before we close, does anybody have a book they'd like to share about? Yeah, me again. (laughs) In thinking about it, I'm so excited about this episode because I just think it's so interesting, the evolution of photography in cookbooks and how it's changed just in my career. But and I'm curious where it's going to like, are we just going to get more and more photos or are we going to see sort of a swing back to more austere and line drawings? And but I stumbled on a book um, was written a few years ago, 2017. It came out. It's called Feast for the Eyes, the story of food and photography. And it's by an author, Susan Bright. It goes all the way back to the 1800s. And it's not just in food photography and cookbooks, but just in advertising and media. And it, 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 it encompasses style and politics, technology. It's just a really really interesting sort of retrospective. So uh, Julia Tertian reviewed it in the New York Times when it first came out, and that's what caught my attention to it. But it's a it's a good read, very relevant to what we've been talking about. Yeah, that's awesome. We should have almost opened with that book, but mm-hmm. um, I'm so glad we're closing with it. Thank you for sharing, Molly. I, I can't wait to read it. I'm totally getting a copy. All right. Well, so great spending time with you guys as always. And I can't wait to do it again. Likewise. Yeah, we'll catch you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Everything Cookbooks. If you have questions or comments, ping us on Instagram at everythingcookbooks or send us a message at everythingcookbooks.com. Thank you to our editor, Abby Circatella. If you have a few seconds to spare, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, which will help more people find the show. Thanks for joining and we'll see you next time.